This message is, uh, I always struggle with how many verses to preach on. You know, um, if you preach on more verses, uh, you don't have to dig as hard, so to speak. But uh, I appreciate the Lord uh, parking me when he wants to park me. And I believe he's parked me on this for a reason. This is not minor about the goodness of God. I've been using that phrase, the whisper of the serpent, for the last few weeks. Have you heard that? The whisper of the serpent. And it started back in the Garden of Eden. And uh, don't ever think that the whisper that started back in the Garden of Eden has stopped. It's continuing. The whisper has to do with subtly, in our mind, questioning the goodness of God. Now, this is a very slippery slope. And that's why the the devil approached it way back there in the garden. Sin came in to humanity, all of humanity. Sin came into humanity when the goodness of God was put into question. And uh, it's still a big time challenge. This is not a minor subject. I wish I had time to quote a lot of the verses that talks about the goodness of God. I actually looked up the word good on the computer. And I, I, I want to know the frequency of the words used in the Bible in the King James Version. And the word good is mentioned about 880 times in the King James Bible. And it was above on the two-thirds side of the frequency of the words mentioned in the Bible. So in terms of understanding that word itself, good, especially the goodness of God, we're, uh, we're on a foundational uh, level of not giving ground to the powers of darkness in our life. If we're going to win this battle against the principalities and the powers, we've got to know how to bring every thought we have, we've got to bring it captive to the obedience of Christ. And not just for the sake of morality. That's important. It tells us that uh, we're to bring every thought captive. We we are to cast down imaginations. That's uh, thoughts we're thinking that's not according to reality. We're to cast down imaginations and bring our thoughts captive. And every high thing in our mind that's exalting itself against what? This is the most critical point about life is knowing God and bringing our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ's mind so that nothing hinders our knowledge of God, our knowing God. And if we question God's goodness, it's a very, um, it kind of reminds me of James, we'll preach on this later, when he's talking about our words and It says, uh, behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. So you can take one little match and have a forest fire like they have out there in California that John described. Uh, Just one little match. But this whole idea of questioning the goodness of God falls into that category. Behold, how great a matter a little, you may think it's just a little thought you're having But the ramifications of where that goes can be very destructive. 
Amen? It's a, it's a big-time battle. It's a big-time challenge to be assured of the goodness of God, which, by the way, uh, does anybody know that uh, hymn we sung, Surely Goodness and Mercy Will Follow Me All the Days of My Life? Did you know? Where is that in the Bible? Do you remember? Psalms 23. Psalms 23. We all know Psalms 23 about the Lord is my shepherd, but the last verse talks about if the goodness of God is going to follow us, we've got to understand the mercy of God. The reason why I, that's not the only reason, but one reason why I and us question the goodness of God is because we don't understand our depravity. We have expectations in our mind of what we think we're worthy of, and when God does not meet our expectations of what we think we're worthy of, we question his Goodness, we put it on him. Now, the Bible, this is, this is a place to start. This is a place to start if we're going to understand the goodness of God. Anything good that God does for us has got to have his mercy accompanied with it. Amen? Uh, Romans 3 says, What ounce or measure of good do any of us have within us? Romans 3 says, There is none that doeth Good, no, not a single one. If I don't understand my depravity, my sinfulness, my wickedness, uh, if I don't understand the corruption of my inner being, if I don't understand, listen, the Bible says my heart, he could have just said the heart is deceitful and wicked. He could have just put it real simple. He could have just said the heart is deceitful and wicked. It would have still got the point across. But the point needs to be made in a more intensive way. Our heart is, how does God describe our heart? And by the way, even though we're saved, do we still have that old sinful nature inside of us? It says our heart, what's the uh, adjective or adverb, whichever one it is. Our heart is desperately wicked. I mean, that intensifies it. So... I'm prone to question the goodness of God because of my depravity. The heart is desperately, uh, the heart is deceitful, and then he adds the intensity of it. The heart is deceitful above what? Above all things and desperately wicked. I mean, God wants us to understand this goes further than you think it might go as far as the destruction of your life. When you listen to the whisper of questioning the goodness of God, you give attention to it. Instead of quickly, I think you have to, uh, you know how the Bible talks about, uh, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And it says, God forbid. Another way of putting that is perish the thought. Don't let that thought continue not one second further. I think we need to have that same attitude about questioning the goodness of God. Don't tolerate it. Don't allow it. Don't permit it. Uh, uh, one of the strong King James words is mortify it. Kill it. Put it to death. It's a lie. It's a deception. I tell you, if there's anybody good, it's God. God is good. If it wasn't for God, there would be nothing good going on. Amen. Now, in James, 
Uh, he says, do not err. Well, that's what I'm trying to say. What's he, what's he speaking of here about erring? When I read this this week, do not err, I thought about when I first got saved, like everybody else, I was trying to sort out what is truth and what is error. And I remember uh, in those days I came across this poster and it had categories and it had columns and it has, had it all posted on there, truth and error. I remember it vividly. It said, okay, this is truth, this is error. This is truth, this is error. It was actually very helpful along the lines of, in the early 1900s, there was a great movement of liberalism that came in religiously in the schools. And when that liberalism came in in the early 1900s, the people that believed the Bible had to determine what's the bottom line that you cannot compromise with in the Bible. And in those days, there was a term that came out, what are the fundamentals? The fundamentals. And that chart I was looking at had to do with the fundamentals. You can't err on the fundamentals. If you err on the fundamentals, you have no relationship with God. You'll never get life straightened out. The fundamentals we're talking about at what I'm talking about right now is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the substitutionary blood atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, the verbal plenary inerrancy, infallibility, final authority of the Word of God. If you err on that one, you, in, you, don't even, you can't go anywhere. That this is the word of God. It's inerrant. It's infallible. Amen. It's a sure word here. You can't start to build a house. That's fundamental. It's foundational. It's critical. Critical or you will err. Now James may have some of that in his mind uh, as far as uh, the gen- generality of erring. But specifically what he has in mind in context of James chapter 1, is do not err about the character of God. He looks at it from the negative, and he looks at it from the positive. And we've already spent quite a bit of time on the negative. He says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So he's looking at it from the negative, and he's saying sin and evil is not to be blamed on God. Amen? And we spent quite a bit of time last week talking about how we blame, we blame, we blame, you know, everybody but ourselves, generally. But if you don't take personal responsibility for who you are, you never come to true repentance and saving obedient faith. The only way to get it straightened out is, you know, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. I'm the problem, amen? I'm the problem. I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me. I'm deceived. I've got depravity. I've got sinfulness. 
uh, you know, from the moment we're born, it's not like you become a sinner when you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. Amen. Everybody with me on that? I mean, don't ever look at a precious little baby. And, and I mean, it's like my, my aunt told me years ago, we just provide a proper environment for that little baby. That baby will turn out okay. No, no way. Listen, I've never had to work hard to teach any of our children to be selfish. I never had to work hard on it. It's in there. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Amen. And only through proper correction and discipline and shepherding can something be recovered by the grace of God to move forward the way God intends life to be. So now, today we're looking at from the positive, every good gift and every perfect gift has got to come which way? It's got to come from God down. We have to look up to get it. But it's got to come down from God. We don't have it. It reminds me of the poison that uh, got when, when God explains the gospel using the Israelites bitten by poison. There was no cure inwardly. If they looked inwardly for the cure, there was no cure inwardly. If they looked horizontally to other people, there was no, no cure horizontally. They had to look vertically. They had to look to God's provision and what God provided. They had to look up. To the brazen serpent on the pole. Amen? And that's where we get any kind of wisdom. It's the wisdom that comes from above. And James is not finished with this yet. Chapter 3 of James, he goes into great detail talking about the wisdom that's on a horizontal basis with man's reasoning. And he says, that's not the wisdom from above. And then he goes into a list of things. He said, now, if you want to recognize the wisdom that comes from above, he gives you a list of qualities in James 3. It's got to come down. The goodness has to come down. The wisdom has to come down. Everything you and I need has to come down from God. Amen? It's got to come down from God. Uh, In the early part of the Lord's ministry, he was uh, speaking to Nathaniel, and he told Nathaniel, when you were under the fig tree, uh, I saw you. Nathaniel was doing serious business with God under that fig tree. And uh, if I'm remembering correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe at that point, Nathaniel confessed him to be the son of God. Now, that's an incredible profession at that early state of Jesus' ministry. It's like when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did uh, Jesus say? Jesus said, Flesh and blood, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. That had to come from God from above revealing that to you. But after that, the Lord said, Okay, you're believing on me now, but based on my work, based on my redemption, based on my atonement, based on what I'm about to do as far as my crucifixion, now it's not in the text of John 1 but I'm telling you what I think it means. He says there's coming a day when there's going to be an open heaven. I tell you, that thought right there, you need to meditate on it. God has established an open heaven. Where are the blessings from God? 
Well, God tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Where are they located? Where are they found? They're found in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, how do we get the blessings in the heavenly places down to earth? It's, they've got to come down. Amen? The blessings are a reality, but we don't always experience the tangible reality of the blessings. Amen? They've got to come down. Now, this concept of the open heaven and the goodness of God is all tied in together. God's made it possible through the redemption of his son for there to be an open heaven for those who believe to tap into the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry about the stock market going up and down with Jesus Christ. His riches are constant. Amen. His riches are absolute. Jesus Christ is the same. How long? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you want to tap into what the Bible calls the true riches, the true riches, you've got to tap into the life of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. So the Lord explained this uh, open heaven to Nathaniel, and it has to do with the ministry of angels. And in my ministry, I think over the years, I've prayed more and more and more about the ministry of angels as to God's goodness to us and God's blessing to us and what God wants to do in our life and the ministry of angels. The Bible tells in Hebrews chapter 2, I believe it is, that the... uh, Angels, we're talking about God's good angels, not talking about the evil angels, not talking about the fallen angels. God's angels, the good angels, are ministering spirits to what group of people? To those that are saved, to those that, the King James says, to those that inherit what? Salvation. So if you have salvation through Christ, if, if you are a born-again believer, then you qualify for this open heaven ministry of the angels. So the goodness of God that needs to come down into your life can come down. And I'm not saying it's only through the angels. I just want to expand our horizon of what the Lord said about it. Because of his redemptive work, his atoning work, his finished work, he accomplished so the heavens could be open to us. You know, we are joint heirs... We are joint heirs with Christ, not just when we get into the eternal life, I mean, eternities. We're joint heirs with Christ right now. Amen. Right now, we're joint heirs with Christ. We need to tap into, you know, you can have millions of dollars worth of oil in the ground on your property and still be living in a shack because you haven't tapped into the oil that's worth millions of dollars. Amen. We need to tap into these eternal riches. We don't have to wait until eternity to tap into these eternal riches. Amen? And the riches, believe me, the goodness of God, the greatest gift of the goodness of God is God giving himself to us. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. 
Psalms 27, three or four times, kept coming back to me, coming back to me, coming back to me in this message. And uh, if you've never memorized Psalm 27 or meditated on Psalms 27, I encourage you to go there. Because every, a lot of what I'm saying here, it's all through Psalms 27. But uh, what am I trying to say? God says, seek ye. Now, this is very important. He does not say, seek my hand. He does not say, seek my hand. If you want the goodness and the blessings of the unsearchable riches of Christ, seek God's face. Seek God's face. Matter of fact, God says in another psalm, he says, don't be like the horse and the mule. He's talking about how I how he's talking about how I will I will lead you. He says, I will lead you, but don't be like the horse and the mule. Can you be absolutely assured of God's leading in your life? But the Lord says, don't be like the horse and mule. And the way they have to be led. He says, here's what God says. He says, I will lead you with my eye. So if you're only looking at God's hand, analogy-wise, and you're not looking at God's eye, analogy-wise, are you going to miss these blessings we're talking about? Are you going to miss this goodness of God we're talking about? The greatest gift, He loved me. Galatians 2.20. Don't just think He loved the world and keep it generally. Put your name in there. Amen? He loved, who did he love? He loved me. Who did he, what did he do? He gave himself for me so that I can know him. That's what the goodness of God is all about. It's all about knowing God, bringing every thought captive and, and casting down the imaginations of what's exalting itself against me knowing God. Amen? That's where the blessing is. is as we gaze into the face, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, all of us as New Testament believers are able to gaze upon God face to face without a veil. Amen? We gaze upon God, it says, with unveiled face in worship of who he is, in wonder of who he is, in the astonishment of, of who he is. That's where the blessing is. The blessing is in knowing who God is and having right perception of God, right conclusions about God. If you err about the goodness of God, you're going to mess up, it's going to mess up the whole package. But it says, as we gaze upon him... And we seek his face, and with unveiled face, we worship him. It says, what does God do? We all want to change. We all know we need to change. But God says the way, to be, the way for you to change is not to make resolutions at the end of the year and then by human determination try to keep it. The way to change is to worship, to, to seek his face, to gaze upon the glory of who he is, and it says, as we worship him in praise and thanksgiving and worship, he changes us. Amen. 
Who does the changing? God does the changing. He changes us from one degree of the glory of his life, more of the glory of his life is able to be made manifest. I'm telling you, that's what, that's what people around us need to see. They need to see the glory of Christ's life. Amen? When we preach Christ or we minister Christ, we, uh, you know, I, I mentioned uh, in prayer meeting Wednesday, I said the only Bible that some people ever read is our life. Right? They need to see the living Christ. They need to see the living glory of Christ's life. They need to see when the shadows of life come. Listen, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, you and I have shadows. Actually, as I was thinking about this point, I went back to... um, I'm talking about we have shadows in the circumstances of our life. We have darkness, what appears to be darkness, in the circumstances of our life. I was thinking about um, the, what do they call it, a total, was it sonar eclipse? Is that what they called it? And they used the totality word, you know, if you was in the path of the totality uh, during the daytime. I'll never forget it because I was down at the parsonage. We had, the parking lot was filled with people. Because they would come for the pathway of the totality. This whole, this whole uh, church ground was filled with people. Because they filled up everywhere else. I was glad they were here. An opportunity to get to know the people. Anyways, was there a shadow of turning with the sun, the moon, and the stars? The created lights. Is there shadows of turning with the created lights that God created? Did God turn, the, turn it into darkness in the middle of the day for a few moments? I'll never forget it because I heard the crickets. Did you guys hear the crickets? I, could, I said, man, you, you know it's darkness because the crickets are starting. I tell you, you never, have, you never have to worry about that in the shadows of your circumstances of life. You never have to worry about that in the darkness of the circumstances of your life. Because our God is light. And in our God, there is no, what does the Bible say? There is no darkness at all. Now, we may put God in the, our perception of God in the shadows of our understanding, but God is light. Amen. He's light. Jesus said, it's what the Lord said. He said, uh, I am the light of the world. Listen, this world doesn't have any light without Jesus Christ. Amen. You can't fix it militarily. You can't fix it politically. You can't fix it economically. You can try and you can try and you can try, but it's never going to be done. The only way this world can be fixed is it's got to be the light of the life of Jesus Christ. That's the only way it can be fixed. Now, the Lord said, if you follow me, he said, I am the light of the world. I believe this is in John chapter 8. He said, I am the light of the world. The first thing it tells us about when he was born, it says the people that sat in 
Darkness meaning nothing they could do about it. The whole world is in darkness and there's not a thing, spiritual darkness, not a thing that humanity can do about it. It says the people that sat in darkness have seen what? A great light. Well, who is the great light they're seeing? That's Jesus Christ. Thank you. Jesus Christ being born. For the first time, there's a man being born without an earthly father. And because he was born of the Virgin Mary and conceived by the supernatural workings of the Holy Spirit, he was born sinless. Amen. And he became the qualified substitute as the just dying for the unjust. He became the God-man. And by the way, the fundamentals of Jesus Christ not only is to believe in his deity, another fundamental is to make sure you believe in his humanity. Amen? He's the God-man. Fully God. What else? Fully man. Both of those are foundational, uh, fundamental doctrines, fundamental understanding of the identity of Jesus Christ. So the Lord said, because of my redemptive work, which, by the way, I didn't finish about those angels. <laughs> because of my finished work, I'm going to go back to those angels. I'll come back to this point. The Lord said, because of my finished work, the angels are able to ascend. And what else are they able to do? Descend upon me. It's kind of like the Lord is a ladder, so to speak. Because of his redemption, his atonement, he's made it possible for the angels to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. There's an open heaven so the blessings of heaven can be ministered to the saints of God on earth through the ministry of angels. Praise be to God. Listen, we wrestle against angels. Right? We we wrestle against fallen angels. You know, there was a time that Daniel was praying... And God said, uh, he basically said, I I sent the answer to your prayers, but the reason why it's taken so long to get to you is because there's a war going on where? In the heavenly places. And who's who's involved in that war? The angels. I tell you, when you're walking by faith, you've got to understand the dynamics of heavenly warfare. And when you pray... Yeah, you need to pray a lot about the angels because there's an open heaven that God's made possible for these angels to operate on our behalf. The Bible says the angel of the Lord encampeth, right? The angel of the Lord encampeth around who? Around those who fear God. The Bible says, God says, I will, uh, what will I do with my angels? I will give my angels what? Charge over who? Over you. I'll give my angels charge over you, lest any harm come to you. I'm, I'm protecting you. Part of my protection, part of my provision, part of what I'm doing, as far as these riches that is coming through my son, is being ministered through the ministry of angels. It's a big subject. Now, I want to go back to Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He said, if you believe on me and you follow me, you will never, what did he say? Remember, in God, there is no shadow of 
turning. There's no variableness of light and darkness, light and darkness. Matter of fact, the Bible says the darkness and the light are both alike to God. Amen? But in our mind, we perceive the circumstances of our life to be shadows. We perceive the circumstances of our life to be darkness. And God says, look, every, there's never been a circumstance. There's never been a situation, never been an adversity, never been a problem that the God of light is not in the middle of it. Amen? The God of light is in the middle of it. And when the God of light is in the middle of it, you have life. He says, when you follow him, you're, you're, you're entering into the light of his life. Amen? We're not just talking about having the blessings of dealing with the circumstance. We're talking about the blessings of knowing him. The blessings of getting close to him. The blessings of drawing near to him. That's what we're talking about. There's no shadow of turning with God. Now, he says, do not err. Whenever God tell us, whenever God says, do not err, why would God have to tell us that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, you know, God doesn't just put fluff in, in the Bible. You say, well, I just need to add a few words here, you know. <laughs> Now, when God says, do not err, what does God know? Are we all vulnerable? Are we all vulnerable to the whisper of questioning the goodness of God? Tell you, this is one thing you need to settle. Otherwise, God would never have said, God would never have said in everything, in every circumstance, every adversity, every calamity, in everything, give what? God would have never said that. He would have never commanded that. If there was uh, light and darkness being mixed into our circumstances. Now, what man touches has darkness to it. It's like a knife. A knife in the home is a blessing when you're peeling potatoes or whatever you normally do with a knife when you're cooking, right? Right? But the knife in the hand of a depraved man who's angry and bitter and violent and so forth and so on becomes destructive. The knife is not the problem. It's what's in the heart of the person that's the problem. Amen? So uh, every good gift comes from God. If, if, if there's something breaking down, it's breaking down not because of God, it's breaking down because of us. Amen? That's why he talks about take responsibility for your life and don't blame God. Don't put it on God. Don't put it on anybody. But especially don't put it on God. All right. So what's the moral of the story, so to speak? Have we ever come face to face with this and, say, and, and, and acknowledge to God? That you, have you ever heard anybody say, God is good, and then they add a, another phrase to it? What do they normally say? God is good all the time. Now, it's easy to say those words. It's easy. Um, 
uh, TJ's uh, friend is in the hospital right now. There was a sh some shootings that was in the news in the last few weeks in our community, and one of TJ's best friends was one of the guys that got shot. And the way the bullet went through his lung area has now paralyzed him from about here down. So his life has been turned upside down. You guys ever have, has God ever turned your life upside down? I'm not talking about that dramatic of a way, but I mean, there's lots of things in the way God turns our life upside down. You know, here was Joseph, and the thing that rescued Joseph, as a matter of fact, God wanted to prepare him for leadership. God wanted to bring him up to leadership in high up places. And how did God prepare Joseph for leadership? The same way he prepares any of us. The Lord said, if you're going to reign with me, if you're going to reign with me, what else has got to happen? You've got to suffer with me. And so God allows trials, he allows adversities, problems, pressures, difficulties, and there's suffering involved with it. Just like Joseph, he had lots of unjust things happening to him big time. But one thing about Joseph, here he was in prison, unjustly in prison. He could have been despondent and dismayed and crying the blues, questioning the goodness of God. But instead of questioning the goodness of God, he was looking at the people that God had placed around him. And listen, if you're looking for a ministry, you don't have to look very far. Everybody with me on this? All you got to do is, who are the people that God's placed around you? It may be a neighbor. It may be the person at the bank. It may be the person at Walmart. It may be somebody you run into walking down the street. I mean, just who are the people that God's placed around you? And trust God because if you're tapping into the sufficiency of Christ, if you're tapping into the riches of Christ, if you're tapping into the goodness of who God is and it's flowing, God never intended it to be a reservoir uh, that we collect it as a reservoir. God says, I want it to flow not just in you. I want it to flow what? Through you. This is how it works. If I'm running on full in my fellowship with God, will that help me as it did Joseph when he was in prison to not be wallowing in self-pity, questioning God's goodness, but to think about the people around me, how can I help the people around me tap into the goodness of God that will lead them to repentance? Amen? That's the way it works. That's what, really, that's what life is all about. Bottom line of what life is all about, that's what it's all about. It's like when I was at Columbia Bible College, they had a uh, motto down there. Our whole purpose in life is to know Christ and what else? And make Christ known. And really, that's what I'm preaching about right now. If we've tapped into his goodness and, we're, and we really believe in his goodness and the fountain is flowing, Jesus said, out of our innermost being, what will flow? Rivers of living water to others. And so the amazing thing about understanding correctly the goodness of God is it, this, to me, this is one of the most fascinating things about life when God deals with our depravity 
is that he transforms us from being a taker to being a giver. There's two types of people in the world. If you don't know Christ and you're not tapping into the sufficiency of Christ, guaranteed you're going to be a taker. But if you are tapping into the sufficiency of Christ, and like it says in uh, is it Psalms 23 where it says he makes my cup. What does he make my cup to do? If, if indeed my cup is running over, there's plenty for everybody else. What amazes me is God says, he said, I, my, I will meet your every need according to my riches and glory, and there's no depletion. It's like, does God run out of any resource to help the next person or the next person or to help all the people in the world? God's never, he never runs out of, it's like the more you give, the more the fountain flows. Amen. It's so wonderful to think about the goodness of God and the blessing of his goodness flowing. I'm going to finish with, uh, with this uh, Psalms uh, 103. Most of you know Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then it starts listing all the, the, the blessings. And one of them has to do with the goodness of God. Let me, let me look back here. Psalms 103. He satisfies your mouth. In Psalms 103, he satisfies your mouth, which means I'm going to be speaking about the goodness of God. I'm not going to be murmuring about what God's not doing. I'm going to be speaking about the goodness of what God is doing. He satisfies our mouth with what kind of things? Good things. Verse 5, Psalms 103, verse 5. He satisfies your mouth with good things, and because you're speaking of the goodness of God and you're constantly focused on the goodness of God, like Joseph, when his brothers were face-to-face with him, he said, I know you had evil intent. I know you had evil purposes. I know you had selfish goals. But he says, that's you. What you had intentions of is one thing, but what God had intentions of is something else. Amen? He said, you meant it for evil. Is our God able to rule and overrule for good? This is what we're talking about. He satisfies your mouth with good things. And you want to talk about your energy level. I tell you, all these grandchildren running around, you know, you say, I wish I had all that energy. Well, God promises to renew your energy. In this verse. He promises to renew your stamina, renew your strength. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is what? Listen, if you keep focus on the goodness of God, will it help you as far as your strength internally? So no wonder there's a battle going on to try to get us to question the goodness of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for how you put this service together from Alpha to Omega, from beginning to end. I thank you for how you do that in this fellowship on a regular basis. Uh, Thank you that, uh, Lord, we're trying to be as sensitive as we can to the promptings of the Holy Spirit's supernatural working 
And uh, we want to be involved in your plan, your purposes, what you're up to. We want to cooperate with what you're doing because everything you're doing is good and perfect. There is no better plan. And Romans 12 says that when we present our body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to you, then we are able as believers to prove that your will is good and perfect. The same thing that James says. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from God. And if we are sincerely surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, we can demonstrate and prove in our life that your will is good and your will is perfect. Lord, I thank you. You got every base covered. So if anybody is wavering, like it says in James, don't err about this. Ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Lord, I pray by the grace of God you'd help us all to perish the thought once and for all, to question the goodness of God. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.